Okay, and as we now take a look at Ephesians 3.14, it begins with, for this reason. So, obviously, there's a little bit of context that we need to take a peek back at. What is the reason? I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are your glory. Discouraged is an interesting word. I think it's even more interesting in the King James Version. There it says he doesn't want them to faint. I love that. It's like, hey, you know what? There's a lot going on, perhaps in your own lives, but also now seeing what's going on in my life, I don't want you to fall on out because of these things. And it is this idea that we would lose heart, that we would lose that kind of momentum or or motivation that keeps us doing the Jesus thing every single day because the life, the world, our falling apart bodies might all in different ways rail against us continuing to glory in the great stuff that we get to do for Jesus. There's a couple other spots where Paul uses this idea and and I'm going to share them with you now just so that we have an idea of what it is that he means to not be discouraged. Well, in one place that he uses the phrase, he says... Therefore, since we have, uh, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Same, same word there, is that our, our heart doesn't kind of melt within us. Later in that same chapter, I'm in 2 Corinthians 4, but just, you can stay put and I'll, I'll be back to you in a minute. Uh, but, but after talking about that we may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God, he then says later at the end of um, 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart. And then he says something rather profound in connection to that. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Similar idea where he talks about kind of persevering in the stuff that Jesus has given us to do. Uh, In Galatians 6, he says, let us not become weary in doing good. Same idea. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I think he has something similar to, uh, to, to the um, Thessalonians, where, where he says to them, in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. And you know what? We all have seasons of life where we wake up and just the love of God is just outpouring and excited. And we're like, I can't wait to go get them. I have amazing things that are going on today. I've got a Bible study with my friend that I've always been excited to finally see happen. I'm going to have discipleship time with a brother that has so encouraged me at different times. And I've encouraged him. I can't wait that we're going to have that iron sharpening iron to get together. The brothers get together Friday mornings to you know look at the word of God. And Bill kind of guides them through some things. I'm sure that's like a morning where you're excited to jump out of bed and get after things. But... Then you get that little stinking virus. And, but you don't call it a virus. You call it the flu because, you know, nobody's going to give you any compassion if you have a cold, right? <laughs> I know how that works. <laughs> or just as you're like, oh, this is going to be a great day in Christ. And then your kids make it as impossible 
as any human can to get out the door on time for church. And even though you say to yourself seven times over, don't exasperate, don't exasperate, don't exasperate. That tipping point even comes then. And you go over the edge and you are the dictionary picture of exasperation. If your child were to look it up, you're like, oh, am I getting rid of victory? Or perhaps it's even something a bit more dark than that, although that is dark, but something more dark than that of uh, deciding to go ahead and, and gain your self-esteem by, by having that boy flirt it with you, flirt with you at work. Or to, to perhaps rile up something within you by, by looking at that internet site or that image. Uh, and it's something that's happened repeatedly and repeatedly. To the point where now the discouragement begins to mount. Or maybe it's on the other side of things where it's just like, okay, today is going to be a day where I really do get my flesh out of the way. I let the spirit be expressed fully. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to connect with people. I'm going to help them to know Jesus. This is not going to be a day where I'm cowardly and shrinking back. But I really am just going to surrender it on over and let me see you work through me today, God. But then as you come home at the end of the day and you look through and you think, what? What happened today? That really set me apart from the rest of the world. And when you take a ruthless inventory, you recognize really nothing. And it's so easy, so easy to lose heart. But now Paul, quite concerned with this, this group of Christians that they might lose heart, wants to be able to pray for them in a way that will make sure that they, although outwardly wasting away, will truly be strengthened in their inner being and never lose heart, never tire of doing what is good, never faint, never become discouraged. You probably, ah, I don't know. I don't know if that'll happen. Although in many of those cases where we saw this word, Paul wrote that you would never tire of doing what is good, that you would never faint, that, that this is not going to be a normal course or some sort of repetitive experience of your Christian life. Well, how is it that that can be short-circuited? Well, here's what he says. For this reason, it's for this reason that I just talked about, to, to make sure that we don't faint, lose heart, grow tired. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray... That out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I'm going to come back to that phrase in a moment. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. That, by the way, being the title of today's sermon, rooted in love. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, repeated phrase, together with all the Lord's holy people. In other words, with all the saints, that's you. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of of God. That's asking a lot. But I think oftentimes we set our sights too low. 
and time for us to recalibrate, ratchet back up to the very sites that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in a pastoral position of hoping that his people, that he is shepherding, would not grow tired, would not grow discouraged. These are the sites that he sets to you. By the way, as I'm looking out, I, I realize that Brad and uh, Jess are here, and uh, you know this is their last Sunday with us as singles. They're getting married this week, so anyway, congrats, Brad and Jess. Very glad to see Brad here, especially after the groom honoring last night. So I. As I said, I'm going to come back to one of those phrases because in the midst of this, if you're listening carefully, you should feel a bit unsettled by something that Paul says here. And the thing that he says that, that really ought to be a question that you want to resolve is that he prays for all these things. Why in verse 17? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And... I know for me reading this, as I read it, I think, what do you mean so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? Isn't that where Jesus lives? Isn't that what I got going on? By the way, that reminds me of a joke. Is a joke told to me by none other than Dr. Deborah Cattell Anton. It may be a joke that for the first time, as some of you I know are off to do to Look towards Deb as I say something semi-humorous to see if there's even a smile that comes across her face. But anyway, Sunday school teacher is asking kids in class, you know, where does, where, where does Jesus live? And, um, you know, and a lot of them say, well, in heaven, you know, with the Father. Uh, and, and another one raised hand, in my heart. Jesus lives in my heart. You know, I have, you know very good, Lucy, very good, Joey. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, Bobby raises his hand. And, and says, uh, well, where, Bobby, where, where do you think that, that uh, uh, God lives? And um, he says, well, I think God lives in my bathroom. <laughs> and so the teacher's a little bit concerned about what is going on in this boy's life theologically. And, and asks, well, what do you mean in your bathroom? Well, every morning before we come to church, I, I always hear my dad saying... As he's waiting outside the bathroom while my while my sister is finishing getting ready, my God, are you still in the bathroom? <laughs> Moving on. You know, I, I myself even wondered if that joke was really appropriate or not. And, and if, if, if you do as well, then please address it to Deb. <laughs> anyway, to resolve this idea, Paul, Paul does pray so that, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. But when we were... Born of water and spirit, was that not the time that we entered into Christ and he in us? 
where Christ and his spirit began to then dwell within us. And, you know, we, we do have plenty of scripture, as a matter of fact, that, that speaks to that very idea, if Christ is indeed dwelling in you. Uh, but, as a matter of fact, you should not be concerned about that, if indeed you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Paul's mind, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are, are completely interchangeable. For example, he says, you're not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, though even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And the spirit does dwell within us. And isn't that interesting, though, how Paul used I was re reading from Romans 8, by the way, at that point. But, but Paul just kind of goes back and forth talking about the spirit, spirit of Christ, or even Christ uh, living within us. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In talking about the difference between Adam and, and uh, Jesus, Paul also says, It is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And he was referring to Jesus through all of that. And I think it's, a, it's very helpful for us, because sometimes when you think about the spirit dwelling within us, Christ dwelling within us, God dwelling within us, some of those things could become unnecessarily abstract. But why did Jesus come in the flesh? Well, to answer the question that many had, show us the Father. What is, what is God the Father like? And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you want to know what the Spirit of Christ is like, well, how about just take a good hard look at the wonders of Jesus as he's revealed to us in Scripture. It's a very important thing that Scripture does for us to show us in an up-close, beautiful, fathomable fashion what Jesus is like. And he is the one that not only has saved us, but he is the one that now takes residence with us and we in him as we continue in our life in Christ. But again, the question is, well, why, Paul? Why? Because these are folks that you've already talked about earlier in, in chapter 2, that they've already been dead in sin and now made alive in Christ, and, and it is by Christ and, and by God that they have been saved. And so with that salvation, Christ has come to make their dwelling in among them. So why are you asking that? Well, I think it's, it's kind of maybe this analogy is, is helpful. Let's say you were deeded through an amazing grace gifting a plot of land. Let's say it's just 20 acres uh, down in, in the Pungo area of Virginia Beach where there's a lot of farmland. Now, you may sit here right now and there's a couple people nodding with smiles in their face. Uh, but you may sit here right now and, and have, in fact, you actually have that. You really do have... 20 acres of, of a plot of land in Pungo. And it is yours. As a matter of fact, you can do with it what you, you can sell it. When you, when you die, you can deed it over. It really is yours. Now, it's one thing to have that land, but it's another thing to then go and cultivate that land. To actually partition it off and actually grow some corn, grow some wheat, grow some berries. To be able to see the power of that land. The fertility of that soil. To see what it is that it can produce. And by you aligning yourself with the very purposes of that land. To be astounded, really, at what it is that it can produce. And how glorious it can be. 
I think Paul is talking something like that. And since we're not an agrarian society, let me just give you one other analogy on this. My mother owns an iPad, and my daughter owns an iPad. My mother's iPad is hers. It's, it's definitely hers. It has, I don't know, iOS 2 on it, maybe. <laughs> but it's hers. She puts it in her purse, carries it around, gets annoyed by it from time to time. But it is definitely hers. But I, and while it is hers and she has all the benefits of it, it's a quite different experience with her granddaughter with that iPad. With her, that iPad sings. It connects her to her brother over in London all the time to have a video chat. It, it allows her to take pictures of herself and twist them around and <laughs> try different hairstyles on right, right there on the screen. Uh, it, it allows her to, 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 to watch a show and cuddle up with her mom. It, it allows her to be able to communicate, to do papers, do all of these different things. Again, you may have the iPad, but do you really know all that's really meant there? Or the plot of land, or all the glory that there really is waiting to spring up from that. So I think not to be you know, unnecessarily taken back by what Paul is saying, because Paul affirms again and again and again, yes, Christ is in you, but here what he's praying for is that you can really know this, really have intimacy with what it is that Christ is, is wanting to do for you. And again, the whole idea here is that we don't fall down. We don't lose heart. We don't grow discouraged. And, and how is it that he wants us to make sure that that's happening? Well, he targets the inner person in this. It's, it's not about even the, the intellect and it's not even about the emotions that, that he targets here. But the way this is going to happen is that we are going to be rooted in love is that I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And yes, Christ dwells within us, but does he really dwell within our hearts? Now, he may actually be there because of our intellectual ascent of really knowing about him. We may have memorized plenty of scriptures about him, but that's just the intellect and that's not the heart. And by the way, when scripture speaks of the heart, it does not mean emotions as it does today. There is a Greek word for emotions. It's splunka. splunka. It became spleen in, in later uh, kind of iterations of that. As you look at the etymology of, of the word spleen, it goes back to the, which is the, the word for like viscera or your, your kind of your, you know, small intestines, I guess. I don't know. But, but that's the seat of your emotions. In the New Testament, when Jesus sees the leper and no one has ever even touched him and he's in such a terrible state, his heart goes out to him, the Bible says. But it's actually, he has compassion or splunka in that case. But if your connection with Jesus is just one of emotions, that maybe a song comes on the radio and, and you sing it loud and streams of tears come off your face. But 10 minutes later, you're on a phone call with a girl that you're trying to get something going on with, well then, no, Christ has, has not really come to dwell in your heart. I don't care how many tears you cried or how loud you sang the song or how emotional you felt when, when you considered the glory and wonder of Jesus. But the heart is something that really is kind of a, a, 
a, a pinnacle between just the kind of the, the, the head and the, and the, the spleen, the splanca. It, it is the seat, biblically, of not just the emotions, but also of our will. You know, that, that we have the heart to go on, of our affections, of our allegiances, and even, even our meditations and understanding. Deep, true understanding is all signified biblically by the heart. And that when things have gone from kind of an emotional experience to the heart, well then, we're starting to have a foundation really be formed for the long run for Christ. When things go from just having been memorized, wrote, understanding, information, to really being internalized in the heart, now we're talking that 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 has now become something that can really give you a foundation to see it through to the end. And when he wants us to kind of really look at this idea of, of having the proper foundation so that we can keep on keeping on gloriously for the sake of Jesus, he says, and I pray that you having been rooted and established in love. And, and this is the basis of it, to have power. Now, if you're rooted and established in love, I think what he's referring to is this, this great passage that we read just a little while ago. But because of his great love with which he loved us. When we were dead in our sins. Because of the great love with which he loved us. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This is the rooting of our love. What is the foundation? Is, is the, the foundation is this love. This love of by grace you have been saved. By grace, you were just going down life, sending it on up, living for self, enslaved by the desires of the mind and of the flesh. All of this is in, in Ephesians 2. This is who we were. But despite all of that, he came and established a new relationship with you. Rooted. It, it, it is established. And, and well, it also says... Uh, rooted and established. He uses a, a, a biological metaphor in root, and then he uses an architectural metaphor in established. It's like, all right, how are you going to build your Christian life in such a way that it will be able to withstand any discouragements that will come to take you off of the glory that was meant to be you? How is it that as, as you picture in your mind's eye what your Christianity is, is always meant to be, you know, where, where it is that you live a life of smiling, selfless service to others, where you are always looking for that open door to be able to share Jesus with every opportunity that he provides to you, where, where you're always looking for someone else in the body of Christ to be able to build up and encourage with the word of God, to be able to think it through, not fall back into laziness, but to actually be uh, kind of in the present giving your all in every one of these situations. Like that, that's what I think of like, man, let, let my Christian walk look like that all the time. And then when hard times come, when the bill is dropped, when the fight occurs, and at the moment I have no idea why, but I know somewhere deep down it's something that I did that was really bad, but, but I'm being defensive and our marriage is, is just feeling like a cold war rather than a one flesh intimacy. 
when, when the kids, as much as we think, oh my goodness, we're going to really encourage them. And, and all they can say is, is that all you got? When, when all these discouragements come our way to be able to, to kind of stay rooted and established in this. Well, the way that that's going to happen, Paul says, is not by for him praying for the externals. Not praying that your kids will become grateful. That your husband will become thoughtful. That your wife will become your biggest fan. That, that your uh, expenses will suddenly settle out. He doesn't pray for that. Those are the externals. Why? Because there's, well, it's not wrong to pray for that. But there's no ending of praying for that. There's no end to the new circumstance that's coming our way. But if you could just have one prayer that fixes it all. No matter what comes your way. Is how about... Not all the stuff that's going on around you, but what it is that's happening in you. With that strengthening in your inner being. But where does that come from? It comes from a deeper appreciation and knowledge in your heart of hearts. Where this is all processed completely, all integrated throughout you of this understanding that I have my standing in Christ because of the love of God. It is by grace I have been saved. And that I get to persevere in Jesus, not out of a slavish fear, but out of a filial fear and a filial love. I just used a bunch of words. You're like, what did he just say? Uh, Slavish fear is a, a term that theologians have used over the years of saying, there is a fear of God that's not so helpful. And it's just a fear of punishment. Like a, like a slave who would be, be fearful of an overbearing master who would, who would bring punishment. And so obedience is reckoned only because of that fear of punishment. But now there is a great fear. It is the fear of a child to a father. A loving father. A, a father who, who is in the image that, that the Bible gives us. A father who doesn't exasperate, or as 1 Thessalonians 2 tells us, but a father who is encouraging and comforting and urging us to live a life worthy of the gospel. Right? It's that kind of a fear. That kind of a fear, though, is still not the basis. That kind of a fear is ultimately eclipsed by love. 1 John tells us, perfect love or completing love. Perfect love doesn't mean like, oh, you've really got awesome love here. It just means... Completing love drives out fear. Fear begins, love completes. And fear is immeasurably important. And fear, I think, is a gift from God. Why? Because if we did not have fear, we would just keep on keeping on and never give any thought to our ways in our fallen state. And if not for fear, you know, kind of you shake me out of my mess. It's the alarm clock that goes off out of my stupor. To realize that paper is due today. Oh no, the jig is up. Help me God. I'm going to hell. Right? I mean, all of that I think kind of kind of comes to mind by the grace of God to help us to, to understand. But he doesn't leave us there. Like, I get it, God, I get it. Oh, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. Alright, what else should I do today? Oh, how can I keep from going to hell? What else can I do today? Oh, how can I keep from going to hell? Right? I mean, that that, that is an approach for sure. That would kind of help you do a whole lot of good things. But you sure would twitch a lot. (laughs) But a completing love. The love that we've got in in front of our faces here. Takes this 
disrupted, aware, engaged state where now you have clicked in to all things Holy Spirit, all things Bible. Tell me more. What's going on here? And then as you are connected, you know, as, as a teacher hopes for in every classroom, God has got you. And now that he's got you with this fear, now he brings you the, the, the fullness of his love with the great love with which he loved us. And that is the way that we are meant to kind of be rooted in our relationship with God. Rooted as a, a daughter is with a father that she knows has wonderful love for her. Yeah, she may make mistakes along the way, but, but, but that father isn't suddenly, you're out of the house. Yeah. You know what? I thought we had a three-strike policy before you were disowned. I'm going with two strikes here. Right? Again, Slavish fear, at, at best, in, in, in that situation, we're, we're meant to have filial. Filial is just the word for, for uh, child. Uh, the, the love of a child, even the fear of a child. But again, the fear of a child in, in Jesus leads to the love of a child for a father. That's what is our basis here, and that's what he's talking about. That you may have power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray... That you being rooted and established in this love. I added this, of course. In this love. This is the covenant in which you now abide. In other words, that you, you wake up today and you have a great day. And you know that it didn't add anything to God's love for you. As a matter of fact, you have a Jesus day. And it doesn't add anything of how warmly God is embracing you. Now, don't get this wrong. When you obey, it is also your way of knowing and appreciating and appropriating all the blessings that God has always wanted you to have. And, and there is no doubt that there are abundant blessings and it's a great life and it's life to the full when we live in alignment with the will of the one who's disrupted our lives. No doubt. There is, there is nothing but an enhancement of obedience that should be in view here. But theoretically... Despite having this great connection to this God who loves you, that if you decided to, you know what, to just slack it on off on that obedience, God forbid, by the way. But if you did, it's not as though he just let you go. That embrace is still just as tight. That acceptance, that affirmation, what it is that he still tells you as you're there and embrace with him does not change. And this great love with which he loved you has dimensions. And that's what I want to look at now as we just kind of close out with a, I hope will be a practical for a prayer life for us all this week. You know how sometimes we have uh, little mnemonics that help us through prayer life like um, praise, confess, thank, request, or acts, uh, acclaim, confess, thanksgiving, supplication. Uh, or I pray through the Lord's Prayer, and I kind of take the, the main topics of the Lord's Prayer, and I pray through them. Here, it seems like what Paul is doing is that perhaps, and I, I'm speculating a bit here, is that he is praying through something that perhaps he does when he prays, is that he just steps back and is astounded by the love of God that has rooted him and kept him from being discouraged despite his chains, kept him from failing to continue to proclaim Christ despite opposition and persecution, that as he can contemplates this love as the basis of the relationship that we all have, I think he begins to just 
appreciate all of the dimensions of this love. The breadth of it, the depth of it, the width of it, the length of it, the height of it. Uh, or as the, as the uh, NIV shares with us, how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. You know, on a, on a similar note, one of the things that Deb will do sometimes is to go out and just consider God and praise Him. And I've imitated this, and I try to listen to her, even though she's praying and I'm praying, and, and try to like take down some of the words she uses. Is she she prays through all of the character of God, A through Z. So A, He's awesome, of course, uh, and or His abundant provisions, or His affection for us, or you know, other A words, uh, and, and so on through it all. And, and, but but it, it ends up being a, a nice kind of spiritual discipline to really decide, wow, I'm, I'm really now engaged at appreciating this depth of God. But what I think what Paul is doing here is trying to appreciate the love of God. Now, interestingly, in the Greek text, it's not as clear. He just says to consider how wide, long, and high, and deep. But it doesn't say exactly what it's attached to. But the nearest word is the love of Christ. And so the NIV takes a little bit of liberty, but not a terrible one, to be able to tie wide, long, and high is the love of Christ. And so and by doing that, by contemplating, setting your mind, meditating on these things, perhaps then you'll know you'll have intimacy with a love that surpasses knowledge. Or said more literally, that you will know the unknowable. Like, oh, that's all I have to achieve here, huh? Uh, and that you may be filled to overflowing with all it is that God wants us to have. So this, this um, approach, I think, is, is going to be a beneficial one for us. And, and I hope to make it a devotional week. And at midweek, when we come together, only two days later, so practice up, uh, is that, that we'll come together and we will pray through how wide and high and deep and something long. I've got it written down here. But you think about the, how wide is the love of Christ. And what comes to mind for me as you think of the expansive width of the love of Christ is I think of that scene in Revelation where it says, With your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That there is nothing outside of the wide embrace and love of God that does not get included in what it is that he wants for them. Now, they can reject it, of course, but nonetheless, the offer is there. And I think it's even why Paul leads with that, because he's just talking about the diversity of the church, the multicolored uh, uh, mystery and knowledge of God that is made evident through the church in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, just a couple verses earlier. And, and, and I think that's, that's so evident by just how wide the net is by which God is able to, in a sense, uh, stop all of us, help us to consider Him and to, to, to love Him. And here's the encouragement part, is that, that perhaps you might think, you know what, I, I, really, I, I really always wanted to have, let's say, my boss's boss respond to the gospel. But sometimes you might think, you know what, people like that, it just seems like, I don't know, they just don't have a need for the gospel. They, they seem to have their sights set on other things. You are then underestimating how wide is the love of Christ.
That person, I don't know. They're into some messy stuff. I don't see them ever coming out. Oh, is the love of Christ not wide enough for them either? Nobody is outside of the scope of the width of the love of God. And when we really do pray through that, I think it gives us a greater faith and a greater perseverance not to get grow tired, not to slow down, but to recognize him too. Even her. Who knew? But let's go. How long? You know, in, in my mind, sometimes I think, you know, why long? You know, what are we what are we talking about with all of this? And but but I think the word long is often used in the Bible with the patience of God. And I think especially the patience he had with me to bring me to salvation. That even though I grew up knowing the Bible and began rejecting him almost as soon as I knew the Bible. And then later in life, to be able to have a, a minister who, who decided to dedicate every Friday morning to me while I was in college. To study the Bible every Friday morning and every single Friday night that I had those Bible studies, I engaged in both drunkenness and immorality. And then faked my way through some religious ceremony at the end of all of those one-on-one -on -one studies to, to proclaim it. Yeah, hey, check me out. I'm now a man of God. I'm now a follower of God. I mean, lightning bolt should have left, me, left a pile of ashes where I was on that spot 20 times over. But the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, you know what he did? He long-suffered. Long-suffered and made those conditions right. Who knew? How high is this love of God? To think of the, the, the heights to which he wants to take you. Think of Paul who, who writes in 2 Corinthians that, you know what? For a minute there, I was taken to the third heaven. And I was able to see unspeakable things. Things that people shouldn't even be able to talk about. But I had a glimpse of those very things. And to think that the love of God wants all of that to really be yours. Heights that we can't even begin to imagine, but are truly ours. To know that you already are exalted in this covenant of love. In this gift covenant of love, you are already seated in the heavenly realms. Contemplate that. And then think about why is it that I'm discouraged? Oh man. My cell phone bill had roaming charges on it more than I imagined. And I owe like, you know, $74 more than I thought. Ah! But then again, I'm seated in the heavenly realms. <laughs> Give some perspective. And then, of course, how deep. We'll study this later when we get to Philippians. So I, I won't belabor the point here, but how deep? Well, Christ, being the very nature of God, emptied himself and lowered himself, made himself nothing, human likeness, servant, and became obedient even to death on a cross. That's the depth to which God came down and got right in front of my face and your face. Why? To make sure that you knew that this covenant of love could be applied to you. 
and that this covenant of love is still yours and applied to you. Now, I say all that as though you're in this covenant. There are a lot of you that are sitting here that, you know what, you've not actually known the intervention of God where you've repented, you, you, you have been baptized, you've been born of water and spirit, and you've been given new life. And if all of that's the case, don't nod like, oh yeah, that's really nice. I think instead you'd be like, holy smokes. That's not mine yet. And that's pretty sweet. And I'm content with what instead? <laughs> Wake up time, right? I mean, there's, there's so much that, that awaits to be able to give you a life of foundation and security and, and amazement that overcomes even discouragement in all of its various forms and to let you live strong and secure to just stride this earth with an inner strength that, that others could only hope to be able to know. And it's ours. Let's spend this week, and here's the, the application, through prayer, gain the strength to rise for Him and consider in your prayer life how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ for you, for others. And don't rise, don't leave that prayer until you really recognize that this is His covenant with you. What difference does that make? What difference will that make for you today? We'll come together Tuesday night and we'll have a chance to express this prayer just as Paul prays it here. And so even think about that through and, and have these times of prayer so that when you come together, you're almost like sharing a, a treasured experience with us that you've already had with God today, tomorrow, or the next day. When we come together Tuesday night to be able to say, ah, come on, let, let me share. Let me pray together with all the others. I want to pray what it is that, that God has been able to really bring me into this intimacy and a knowledge that I thought was surpassing. But once I really contemplate it and have the strength of Christ dwelling within me to give me the power to understand and, and also to realize and appropriate for myself this very love, this very covenant, my goodness, what a difference it is when I go about my day. See you Tuesday.